Every week, Denver Zone Real Nerds Podcast sees a new movie. We podcast our experience to the world. I think sometimes we're funny. Yeah, sometimes when I'm talking, not when you're talking, not when you're talking. Oh, you know, it might help if you told them that we're on iTunes or on Stitcher so they could find a place where you can actually listen to us. Oh, okay, Brad. We're also on Twitter, at Real Nerds, and we have an Instagram account. Boom. Commercial, Brad. Cut. Paste. Upload. We like to have fun. Sure. I like fun. James, you're very bad at improv. RealNerdsPodcast.com. You have all made it to the dance. You have all made it, made it, made it. Coming to you from the X Access, it's John of All Trades with your host, John X. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the John of All Trades podcast, episode 143. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And we return to the faith community this week. And I did not intend for this episode to be as topical as it is, but sometimes the universe lines up and that's the way it works out. My guest this week is Rabbi Adam Morris. He is the rabbi at Temple Micah in Park Hill. They share a space with the United Methodist Church there. It's 5209 Montview Boulevard. I reached out to him a while back because I was pointed in his direction by Reverend Rusty Butler. You may remember that from a previous episode of the John of All Trades podcast. I'll link to it on the John of All Trades blog. It's J-O-N-OfAllTrades.us. You can find every episode there, among them Rusty Butler. As I realized I had a gap sort of in how I looked at employment, I hadn't covered the faith community at all. So I interviewed Rusty. He was my parents' reverend. He's now moved to Salt Lake. He did both my kids' baptisms. And I said, hey, can you uh, set me up? I'm looking to talk with a rabbi. And he said, Rabbi Adam Morris, he goes by Rabbi Mo, would be a great person for this. So reached out to him. Took us a few months to get our schedules to line up. But we talked last week. And how would I have possibly known that what happened in Charlottesville was going to happen shortly before I interviewed Rabbi Mo? I didn't. I couldn't. I couldn't possibly know that. But it comes up on this week's show, and in the back half of this week's show is some amazing talk about why Jews are persecuted. And he rightfully points out to me that people have spent their entire academic careers and their entire professional lives trying to unpack that question. But it's 2017 in the United States, and the Nazi flag is flying, and we have people chanting, Jews will not replace us. We have people chanting blood and soil. How is this happening in 2017 America? And so we end up talking about some of these issues because, damn it, if we're not, why are we even here? Right? Why am I even doing a show if I'm not going to ask pertinent questions about what's going on at a very important and interesting and tough historical point? The answer is, I shouldn't be here at all if I'm not willing to tackle that. So we talk about sort of the things that you expect from this show to begin with. How did he get into working as a rabbi? You know, what was his quote-unquote call? He told me Jews don't really think of it that way. And that, to me, just even the way that I asked the question and trying to think about it differently is illustrative and helpful and the point of this show. Again, I come back to this, and I know I say this a lot, but it bears repeating. If there is one point to my show... If it exists for any reason at all, it is so that we build empathy with each other, so that we understand each other better, so that the world is less scary, because we owe it to ourselves 
to do that, to build bridges. I mean, we're all trying to do our best to get along. And if we can unpack fear, unpack acrimony, unpack hate, and we can get beyond that and understand each other better, and we live in a better world, that's why we do it. That's what matters to me. And Rabbi Mo is just brilliantly insightful, extraordinarily compassionate. This is what you'd hope for someone who works uh, in, call it the milieu of faith. This is what he does. If I were a member of Temple Micah Denver, I would feel very good about who was leading me. So Rabbi Mo is just a tremendous guy. Gives me tremendous insight. We have great banter. He's funny. He's a cool guy. Like, I just enjoyed sitting down with him. I immediately sort of connected with him. What a great dude. And so just on every level you could enjoy a podcast, I enjoyed this one. So first half of the episode is great. Second half, we end up talking about cultural and societal issues in a way that is just, for me, transformative and terrific. So I think you're really going to enjoy this one. A couple of quick plugs before we get going. iTunes, Stitcher. It's no longer iTunes. It's actually Apple Podcasts. Go on there. Give me a rating. Give me a review. That helps exposure for the John of All Trades podcast. Also hit that subscribe button because I've got brand new episodes coming every week and I'm not looking at a break here for the next few weeks. So there's going to be fresh content coming every week now for the foreseeable future. I've been sort of hit or miss. My health has come into question earlier this year, but seem to be past that. And I'm at a place where I've got a good lineup of guests coming every single week. So hit that subscribe button. You get them downloaded to you brand new every single week. New episodes are every Wednesday. Previews go up on Monday. Those are on Facebook only. So like the John of All Trades page on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash J-O-A-T pod. You get the drop on everyone else. Additionally, we're on the other social media, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, all at the same handle, J-O-A-T pod. This week is episode 143. I've got Rabbi Adam Morris. He's at Temple Micah, Denver, and his episode starts right now. You know, a lot of my work is when other people don't work. <laughs> right. So, you know, when, when can people come to a meeting and, or when they attend services or, or learning? And that's usually, usually evenings and weekends. Different when I started as our society is less dominant nine to five workers. And I think people's schedules change, but that's still pretty much that. So right. my weekday, um, that's when I have my most flexibility. So okay. I might come into the office and, um, meet with people if they want to, if there's in-house administrative planning or, um, people want to touch base about, uh, programming or, or, uh, speak, to more spiritual issues, um, correspondence, things like that, um, connecting with other colleagues and professionals. Right. I might go visit people in the hospital or hmm. in their um, other places that they can't get out and I can get to them. Right. Um, but it's different. They, it's, I don't have a set <laughs> schedule in, in my work, too. That could change. Um, well, you do have at least one set time per week, right? Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes. Sabbath or Shabbat, that, that's <laughs> right. pretty much that. And when, <laughs> when do you typically uh, do services then? So at our community, we um, the Jewish Sabbath is Friday night to Saturday night. Mm -hmm. And in most communities, there's a Friday and a Saturday morning service. We only have one a weekend, so we alternate. So I'm either on Friday night okay. or Saturday morning. And what I said to Rusty when I interviewed him, I mean, 
that's where you're going to make your money, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's that's when the show goes on. Yes and no. Okay. I mean, I think it's, I, and I'm certainly being playful with. No, that. no, I, I hear you. I hear you. No, no, I wasn't. It wasn't the money part. I was uh, <laughs> right. reacting to. I think there's a. It's certainly an important part of any religious community's life. I think the church community versus the Jewish community, it's a different focus. I think, mm. uh, and I'm, I know I'm generalizing too myself, but in the church communities, showing up Sunday morning, that's what kind of identifies you, right? If you ask people. How big is your church? They'll say, "Well, here's our crowd Sunday mornings." Right. Jews don't quite roll like that. Okay. If I measured who is involved by who showed up at services, it's a much know. different number. Right? It's, it's a much different number. Yeah. So, so how um, do you measure it then? Um, it's measured by formally by the way people say, "Okay, I'm part of this community," and pay. Mm-hmm. We use the term membership. Okay. Sure. We use the term dues, although those are evolving and changing too, but, right. and, um, they may show up at services or may not, um, may uh, be part of the learning community for their kids. Right. Um, there's just lots of different ways people connect. Judaism is so, I'd say the most important institution in Judaism is not the synagogue, but it's the home. Oh, interesting. Okay. And so with that decentralization, it, yeah, synagogues are important, but it, it's 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 a different uh, focus. Well, as you compare it against sort of uh, traditional Christianity, mm-hmm. that's almost like an inversion of formula. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's interesting to me. And not having a ton of exposure to this, I've never heard it characterized that way. But that's probably because I've never bothered to ask. So, <laughs> but uh, sitting here in your office uh, at Temple Micah with Rabbi Adam Morris, you also go by Rabbi Mo, mm-hmm. right? And uh, is that a nickname that just sort of evolved over time? Is that a shorthand? Did, did someone gift that to you, or did you choose that? That was gifted to me my, at my first uh, pulpit. I was an assistant rabbi in Nashville, Tennessee. Okay. And uh, my senior rabbi's daughter, who was a teenager, and I was to be working with because she was part of the youth group, and I was part of my ministry, if you will. We don't right. use that term, but we know what that means. <laughs> right. um, and she says, Rabbi Morris, you need a nickname. <laughs> That's too long. She says, I'm going to call you Rabbi Mo. It's too long. It's six letters. And, uh, <laughs> she was ahead of Twitter. She, and she was ahead of time. Right, exactly. Yeah, clearly. And, you know, 23 years later, it's just followed me and... Just stuck, huh? And it, it kind of works. Yeah, well, it's works. it's nice. It's catchy. I'll tell you that. When I read it, uh, when I was looking at the website, mm-hmm. uh, I read that and I go, it flows right off the tongue. Yeah. No, I like it too. It's kind of a nice blend of both formal and informal. and Yeah, well, it makes you very approachable, I would say. Anyone who sort of out front goes by a nickname, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, I feel like I can talk to them. Okay. I mean, it, it gives it, – it's a, it's a nice shorthand, uh, and you, you short-circuit a little bit of some of the awkwardness that comes with meeting new people, mm-hmm. which is really cool. So how long did you say you've been at this? So I was ordained in 1994. Okay. So about 23 years. It'll be my 24th high holiday season, nice. Jewish New Year that's coming up. Fantastic. And remind me, when is that? So this year, Rosh Hashanah falls on, it starts the evening of September 20th and 21st, and Yom Kippur is the 29th and 30th. Okay. And I mean, that's, that's exciting times. Well, we, before you talk about when that's where, the, that's where you make your money, that, <laughs> right. that, well, in that euphemistically speaking, that, that's our big time. That's our, you know, to use, that's our Christmas and Easter all rolling right. into one. When, uh, we draw people and there's a focus and, 
and intensity and sure. solemnity and it's all there. Well, before I ask this question, uh, we should put this out there. I was introduced to you by, uh, Reverend Rusty Butler, mm-hmm. uh, from Arvada United Methodist church, who's now in Salt Lake city, which, mm-hmm. uh, I think I, I'd be curious. I need to follow up with him on how that sort of unique challenge is going for him. Have you talked to him? No, I've not talked to him, uh, but I would wonder too. I yeah. think there's some, it's a unique landscape to, to do what we do. Certainly. Uh, when you're, you're not Mormon. Exactly. If you're not part of the dominant faith. Mm-hmm. But Rusty told me that I'm was... I'm used to that, though, being, not being part of the dominant faith. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> Certainly. You know, unless unless you're practicing in Israel or something, mm-hmm. right? I mean, <laughs> that might be the exception. But, uh, yeah, he, he introduced us a term that I used with him, something I was curious about. And, and this may change given the less decentralized mm-hmm. nature of Judaism is we talked about Easter Christians mm-hmm. and, you know, Christmas Christians, mm-hmm. people who just show up sort of twice a mm-hmm. year. Do you have that? Do people kind of circle back around for the high holidays? Well, the, the numbers certainly say that. Okay. I mean, right. We have, and most synagogues have this, that, you know, the people, the numbers swell. And for some reason, as far as how people value this ritual and tradition, that's when people come and they, they come in. And show up in, in numbers that way. So we, and yeah, I'm sure if you search, you can find those less, those more derogatory terms for the, the two a day Jews or things sure. like that. And the jokes about, but the reality is, is that for me is I don't view people who walk through those doors with any judgment or expectation. Oh, why don't you come more? I really want, you're here now. I'm happy right. to have you here now. And they don't get a sell or pressure of come back more. Why aren't you here? That's not part of me or my community. It's sure. okay. Hey, you're here now. We're great to have you here. Let's, let's make the most of this time. Well, I've never understood people either on, let's call it the administrative side mm-hmm. or the attendee side who treat their God or their faith mm-hmm. as sort of an equivalent to a high school attendance office secretary, <laughs> you know, where you get credit if your butt is in the seat and it's like someone is keeping a checklist. I don't think it works that way. I think there are those who believe that it does, but that that seems uh, a little too transactional for me. Mm-hmm. That seems a little like misplaced priorities. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So to hear you say that, I think is really good. And and I don't know. I mean, you have to interview everyone who comes, ask them <laughs> how they're coming to the place, which would but, be time prohibitive. Yes. But. And I don't know if it's an exciting podcast either. <laughs> it might be. You don't know. <laughs> you never though. know, right? My guess or sense of those people, it's more complex than relating to what God they think God wants or not. At least Jewishly, I, I think it's more about community and and connecting and identity. And they may not have any other ritual observance or different type of spiritual practices, but for somehow, some way, being part of community then addresses those elements of of them, of how they belong and, right. and heritage and, and things like that. They're getting fulfillment in in some way that they are not getting otherwise. I hope so. Right. Yeah. I mean, ideally, right. I mean, I think that me as rabbi, I, I want it to be the, the God piece. I want it to be spiritual and and sacred and people may not, that may not be what's getting through the door. It may be, well, I did this when I was a kid or it was meaningful to my parents or I wanted to, I want my kids to have this connection and it may not be driven by the, the godly piece or the spiritual piece. Mm Mm-hmm. I, I just want them open to that possibility. <laughs> right. So you mentioned this is going to be your 24th high holidays. And I asked this to Rusty 
it's it's something I'm fascinated by because you hear, particularly in media and in fictionalized media, the call is always, you know, it's this big thing, right? And for Rusty, he said it was a lot more mundane. Mm-hmm. He He was working with like a youth group and they were playing softball. And when he would get done with that on Sundays, he would be dreading going to his regular job. And whoever he was working with said, you know, Rusty calls come in many forms. So I'm curious, was there like a, like a big call for you or how, how did that unfold to make you want to pursue this as your life's work? It's funny. Cause, um, I think that, um, at another time in my life, I would have said, Oh, we Jews really don't use that language. Call doesn't work right. like that. It's more of a Christian term. And well, and that's illustrative for me as well. Mm-hmm. Certainly. But the longer I do this, the more that, that at least the idea behind it feels right. Um, as to what I do or why I do it. No, I don't have a great story about, you know, some epiphanal moment where my life changed on a dime and I decided I would serve God and the Jewish people. I don't, I guess I could come up with one for these <laughs> type of questions. It was, it was more mundane. It was more when I realized I couldn't stay in college and I needed to <laughs> okay. decide what I want to be when I grew up and started to look at the things that might fit me, that this seemed to make sense and, um, but I don't think I really knew, I don't, th- the, the call, if there is one, didn't come for me until I was in the midst of it. Oh, interesting. Okay. And realize, okay, there's, there's fits in it. And it was in pieces and parts hmm. that as I, more, more of looking back and saying, oh, I see how this fits. Oh, interesting. Me and what I care about and what I think about and how I want to spend my time. It's, it, it's, it's more of that in reflection. I, I think a lot of God moments are like that anyways. Well, sure. That it's not until after we're like, whoa, some, something was happening. Yeah, there. where you can look back and mm-hmm. put the pieces together yes. in a different mm-hmm. way. Uh, yeah, it's funny. Um, I, I think it's a fallacy that we know ourselves well at all. And a lot of times we're doing things and we don't fully understand the motivations mm-hmm. why, as you say, until later. But I've talked to a number of comedians and one of the things that they say is stand-up comedy is really rough. You know, getting up in front of drunks and strangers mm-hmm. and hecklers and bombing night after night after night after night. You know, you're not selling out Madison Square Garden, mm-hmm. uh, maybe ever, but for a long time, you're sort of slogging through process and you have to love the process. And so in some mm-hmm. ways, without getting a call, there had to be something about the process or the pieces that you looked at and go, oh, this, like, this looks like uh, a worthy path to pursue. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could get some fulfillment. It may not have made sense in a sort of grand, you know, mm-hmm. I was struck by inspiration one day as far as, you know, you looking at what am I going to do here? And that's germane to this podcast. A mm-hmm. lot of people get to a point where they go, what am I going to do now? Mm-hmm. And there's something there. And then they realize later, oh, okay. So that's why that works for me. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like that's how it worked for you. I think so. And. Well, I certainly get the hardest to be funny. I, I say things I think are funny plenty of time and no one laughs. But I, li- I like that process. Thing. Well, you are a dad too. <laughs> inherently, so I'm inherently not funny. <laughs> to um, one person at least. <laughs> um, but I think that, yeah, I like that idea of that process and going through and maybe you have some inkling like the mm-hmm. comedian. Oh, I, people say I'm funny. Maybe I could do this, but you, I don't think you can know what any profession is like until you do it. Yeah, that's and right. It's, it's almost, it's kind of like getting married too. <laughs> yeah, really. I mean, you're in love and it feels great, but being married is way different and, yeah. it, and it's the work part and there's joys and blessings in that hard 
nature of the work yeah. that you can't even get. Right. And I think for me, I, if you asked me this when I started doing this, I had some inkling of the awe of being welcome into people's moments in their lives. Yeah. When they're saying goodbye to a loved one, when they're getting married. I, 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 I expressed that, but I didn't really get what that meant and how to be in those moments. So sure. it, the, the process was really, really there. Yeah. And it's always being renewed. I always, I'm always having to ask myself the question, well, why am I doing this? <laughs> right. Why am I here? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like, well, yeah. Why, why are these people inviting me? How, how do I fit mm-hmm. into these moments in their lives? And, and who, who am the I in these moments? <laughs> right. And it, it's funny because I, I'm interested in jobs that, that deal in faith because, and, and I talked about this with, with Rusty and I, I'll stop bringing him up here in a bit, but I like Rusty. Okay. okay. <laughs> It's almost like, do people expect a persona or is it different in Judaism? Because I know in Christianity, there's sort of a persona that you have to affect uh, or or that maybe people expect. And so Rusty was telling me if he's out at the liquor store or something, mm-hmm. you know, what are people going to think? And he worried about that for a while. And then he realized, I can't worry about mm-hmm. that. But is there a persona that you have to enact? Are there, do you have almost like a, a fractured self? Is there anything like that? There's a real truth to what, you're talking about. I, I think that persona has much softer edges in the 21st century than it did a few decades ago. Oh, certainly. Yeah. Um, I, I think I think about it differently um, than a persona that I'm projecting. I think that part of the responsibility of role of title is there is a place that I am put in people's lives in their emotional echelon. Right. And, that comes needing um, a kind of distance uh, that people, for me, back to what I was saying, the, the gift of being invited in people's moments, mm-hmm. that persona, or you will, that helps me be in those moments. Oh, sure. Yeah. It, that helps me be in that role in those moments. And so I can't, and this is, this is years of my own work to understand sure. this. Wrestling with this question, mm-hmm. I'm sure. I can't just, I can't just put that on in those moments. Yeah, I can't shed it at other times. I have to honor it in those moments that I'm in the liquor store or the grocery store. Yeah, then I'm still someone's rabbi. Yeah, and honor that, and and it works differently to different people. And yeah. and some people do want more of that formality and distance, and and others want to be more informal. And but I that's something that I treat with respect, and that's part of what helps me do my job for people when they need me to do that job. That makes sense. You almost have to be a little bit Zen-like and uh, take the energy that people are giving you mm-hmm. and, you know, almost mirror it back in a way. I mean, not necessarily strictly, mm-hmm. but, you know, if people want more formality, you know, as, as people existing in society, we tend to match the energy of the people that mm-hmm. we're talking to. And so, you know, I imagine depending on who it is, they might, you know, they they might want a little more formality. They they might want to joke around and be a little bit more informal with you. And so, is it easier to match that energy, or are you pretty even keel all the time? Everyone's different. They they um, need different things. Um, I think I'm a steward of that title of that role, and so why well, I have some spectrum of what that looks like with different people mm-hmm. and what they need. There's still some limits. Sure. About how informal. I get. Yeah. Like we joke about going to the liquor store 
and you know we Jews will have liquor at events and we'll drink but and I I enjoy my wine and my beer sure but in that setting I don't know that I would enjoy it to the point of being drop dead <laughs> smashed <laughs> right because that's that's disrespectful to the role and piece that 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 yeah I don't think they want that that when you talk about the Rabbi Mo, you, it's interesting you, you, you appreciate that because I think that that captures this. That, yeah, no, it really does. Because the, the rabbi keeps me the rabbi. <laughs> right. But the Mo brings it, makes it accessible. Right. Yeah, it rounds and off it, the edges it's a little the, bit. It's the great mix of that. People can still, still be informal with me, but it's, it's a rabbi Mo. <laughs> <laughs> Even when people call me just Mo, the rabbi still implied, too. It's it, Oh, that's true. It's an interesting... Uh, how it plays out there in terms of when you are doing a service or uh, a wedding mm -hmm. or a funeral, how comfortable were you going into this uh, with public speaking? Because as a former public mm -hmm. speaking instructor, this is something that always fascinates me. Some people end up thrust into roles where they have to do a lot of it mm -hmm. and a lot of writing. I mean, in terms of Christianity, you're writing a fresh sermon every seven days. I mean, that's a lot of writing, yeah, a lot of writing. and I mean, burning through material at that clip is, I mean, that's, that's a churn rate. That's tough. I work in public relations and I'm writing for my clients all the time. And a lot of times I'll get that blank page anxiety and I'll go, okay, well <laughs> that one's off. What am I going to do next? Like I, the well is dry, but in terms of that piece of this, that part where you are front and center, how comfortable were you when you started versus how do you feel about it now? Well, you got, I hear two questions in there. There's the, yeah public speaking piece and then there's the writing and content piece. So, um, the, the public speaking piece, I guess when I was a kid, I would not have thought of myself as someone who would be comfortable in front of a group. Hmm. But from the moment I started doing it, I didn't, I never had that trepidation or, or fear. Right. Um, do you get the butterflies though? They're my friends now. Yeah. Um, I agree. And they're, they're smaller than my friends. And I think that that's healthy. Um, uh, yes. That they kind of keep me on my toes and I, and you talked about kind of the persona. There is a mode of being in those moments. Oh yeah. And it's, a, it's that uh, I'll, I'll do a tangent. There's a great movie. I don't know if it's a great movie. It, there's a baseball movie with Kevin Costner, not Bull Durham, but it's called for the love of the game. Yeah. It's, it's he pitches a, well, he pitches he, a perfect, perfect yeah. game and spoiler alert for and, a movie. That's like more than 10 yeah, years right. old. <laughs> <laughs> what is the statute of limitations? In that? I don't know. Right. But he's got this thing when he's pitching, when he's got to focus, it's, it's this corny thing. He says, time to engage the mechanism or something like yeah. that. And there's a sound effect and he gets focused and does that. Yeah. And I, I get that because there's a time when I'm in that mode. It's okay. It's time to switch that on. Mm. And it's not false or, or force. It's just a different focus and a, an awareness that it's like a heightened reality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I think I've, and I would never would even known to describe that when I started doing this. Sure. But now I can say, okay, yeah, I, I get that. There's a, there's that focus and I, um, enjoy the challenge of it. <laughs> it's uh, stimulating and inspiring. And because of when I get to do it and what I'm doing it for, right. That I'm given this, this really sacred gift and, um, responsibility, say to guide a family through the ritual of saying goodbye to a loved one. Yeah. Wow, that's that's humbling, but it's also I I I appreciate that challenge and the trust in that the challenge is given to me and and uh, it's interesting you talk about the writing too. What has really developed for me is my ability to speak without writing. Oh, good, that's helpful. And to 
you know, I'd say much earlier in my career, my most everything I did was written out. Right. And I still do that because there's a level of specificity and nuance and wordsmithing, which I like to do, which you can do yeah. with that. That doesn't happen for me off the cuff. Right. But off the cuff, not, and off the cuff seems like I'm winging it, but it has some prep, but it's, it's more of a natural flow of right. spirit. And so it impacts people differently. And that part of me has really developed. I, there's a, one of my colleagues in town, he's retired. His name is Rabbi Steve Foster. He's a mm-hmm. kind of icon, a legend in the Denver Jewish community. And, um, it was maybe, maybe 10 years ago that, you know, high holidays is coming up. That's our big time. And I, you write out those sermons cause those are big and people talk about those and, and I remember talking. He said, "Well, I don't write mine out." And I thought, well, "You what? Your high holiday sermons you don't write out? Come on!" And he goes, "And he's been doing this forty years before he retired." So I kind of really took that as a challenge. And even in that moment, which I yeah. felt the pressure of wanting to get all the words right, sure to do that, and that's that's been a really invigorating challenge to to do that, even in that space too. Yeah, to to be in a space where. I, and when, so I'm going to give up, uh, something that I usually charge people money for. I'll just do it here on the podcast. But when I do message training for people, a lot of times you'll go with big public relations firms and they'll give you like a whole messaging book. It's like a three ring binder with pages upon pages of, you know, mm-hmm. if they ask this question, say this, if you do this pivot here and that's ridiculous. Like no one can remember all that. Uh, you'd, you'd be a sociopath if you could actually memorize that book. So when I do a messaging <laughs> document, it's like one page and it's like, what are my key messages? And what I tell them is don't focus on getting the words exactly right. What is the core thing that you want whoever you're talking to, to think, feel, or do as a result of hearing what you just said? So when I'm doing public speaking, that's sort of structured, I I think of it almost like building a house, right? And this is an old rhetorical trick. It goes back to like Cicero. But uh, if you think of your speech as walking through a house, you know the basic layout of the house, right? But you don't know everything that's in each one of those rooms. So I'm going to go talk about this point. But as I'm in this room, this first point, uh, I'm going to describe the picture and the desk Mm -hmm. and the lighting fixtures. And that's where the colorful sort of like language and the spirit flows Mm -hmm. through you. And then eventually, you know, you walk down the hall, you move into another room. Then you describe that room and you build it out colorfully with a way that's appropriate in the moment. But you have the basic structure in mind. Mm-hmm. Is that another way of thinking I like about that. it? I, I had not heard that, but that really does name yeah. kind of the process and the experience of have that. Okay, here, here's, my, here's my room I want to occupy. Yeah. I'm going to spend some time in there and just kind of tell you what's in the room. I, I, yeah. That is really what happens. Yeah, it's it's kind of and especially with experienced public speakers, mm-hmm. because anytime you're reading from like a sheet, mm-hmm. you know, where it's prepared remarks, people recognize that and they start to tune out because if you're reading it to them, you may as well just make copies and hand it to them and they can right. read it themselves. Whereas if you're doing it a little bit more extemporaneously, you get some value in that because people tend to be engaged mm-hmm. because you're not entirely sure where you're going. I mean, you mm-hmm. know but you don't know now. Mm-hmm. And so you tend to grab people by the hand and take them on the journey mm-hmm. with you, which is really cool. So when I'm writing those words, that flow mm-hmm. that I would kind of call godly or spirit, I'm in that flow when I'm writing. So it's genuine. Oh, yeah. It's real. But when I'm reading it, 
I'm reading what the flow, an account of what the flow was. And yeah. So it, there's little distance. When I'm speaking without notes, I'm in the flow. Yes. And you, so it's, that's perfect. Yeah. That, that, that's, that's the difference. It's so like if you they're man- both from me, but they, the way they're connecting people is differently. Well, essentially it's like if, uh, if you've ever tried to take a picture of a lightning storm, if you even take a picture of that lightning, it's an amazing moment for mm-hmm. you. If you show people that picture, they go, that's nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whereas if you can recreate the experience of that mm-hmm. lightning, then people tend to be a little bit more moved by it. So mm-hmm. what's the difference of showing and telling, right? Exactly. It's uh, and sto- I mean, and for my tradition, it's story. What stories are what engage. There's, there's a great Yiddish proverb that says God created humanity because God loves stories. <laughs> I've never heard that. Yeah. That's really good. So in terms of the community here, how many families would you say are a part of your community? Depending on how you count and what day, we have about 200 households okay. who are part of the community. And is that in relative to the Jewish communities and, and other temples mm-hmm. within Denver, is that fairly strong? I would say we are a small to mid-size. Okay. Um, the other synagogues, um, like Rabbi Foster that I mentioned, Emmanuel, they're about 2,000 households. Oh, my. Okay. There's a couple other ones that are around a thousand household marks. And there's some that in more suburban or outside of the city are, are, um, um, less than ours. But then, you know, in our day and age too, it's not just the institutions, right? Um, it's a DIY world in everything and it's in the religion industry too. And there's lots of things going on with, uh, institutions you wouldn't call synagogues, Mm. but are, are, reaching out to people and they measure that differently. There's informal small groups of people who meet on their own and, and do their own thing and get their resources from all the wonderful things that are out there yeah. virtually and, and from other people too. So you, you'll read any number of think pieces about people moving away from the church. Mm-hmm. Um, has that been true uh, in Judaism as much as it has been in Christianity and some of the other religions? Yeah, I think we, especially in America, we certainly share that. That phenomena that uh, I think it's partly what, what I was talking about a moment ago that in our world, you know, it used to be the gateway to Jewish stuff was through the synagogue. Right. And I mean, it was the cultural hub, right? It was, it was not just a place of worship, but it's where everyone went for almost all Mm -hmm. of their social engagements. Right. And now the world is much more diffuse and decentralized. And other industries work that way too. You used to have to get your news from the local (laughs) news or the newspaper. You used to get your music from the music store or the radio, and it's it, we parallel that, yeah, and so okay. it's decentralized, which is it's not a good or bad thing. It's just how our how history is moving. Is that challenging for you personally, or challenging for this institution? Oh yeah, and so yes, <laughs> it is the challenge. I'd say, uh, yeah. I, I mean, you could even call it like an existential challenge. Mm-hmm. Um. So how do you continue to remain vital? How do you remain vibrant and keep a robust community in that type of environment? Like, how do you differentiate yourself? Well, I think part of it's process. Part of it is, is always being open to asking questions about, oh, how, how are we synagoguing? Does it make sense? Why do we do what we do? But even before that question is that, is the work of self-awareness, whether it's me individually mm. as rabbi or as, as a human being, us as an institution, what are we about? Why are we here? Right. And I, mean, I think the the core of that is still vital in our world. I still think that and believe that 
the idea of connecting to community of the possibility of what's beyond us and respond to the ultimate questions of meaning. Why are we here? What are we supposed to do? What happens to us here and after? Well, those, we still don't know the answer to those questions and we still as human beings want to respond them in a way that makes our world a good place to live in. So I think that's still valuable. And so the question is, okay, if we're still a value, how do we make it a value in this landscape? Okay. That makes good sense to me. So forgive the long preamble to the question I'm going to ask you, but, uh, um, I'll go get a drink. I'll be back. <laughs> yeah. I'll just say it all. It, it, it'll be for me and the listener. And, <laughs> uh, but I've, I've worked in political campaigns for a long time and nothing drives donations and turnout quite like a crisis. So when you send out a mailer, you know, people will tend to respond. You know, if it's, hey, we're doing this great work and you should support mm-hmm. us, people go, that's ah, nice. They seem to be doing fine. When things really go down, people tend to, you know, go, oh, I got to fight this or I got to preserve this. Um, for, and I mean, counterintuitively, I think of gun store owners. I have a friend who owns a, a store that sells firearms. Uh, those stores do much better when a Democrat is elected president. Uh, or when there's Democrat leadership, because people are afraid that their guns are going to I remember there was a off. spike before President Obama exactly. took office. I, I remember that. And now his shop is really, really slow, which is, I mean, feels sort of counterintuitive. With that said, the current media landscape and everything that's going on in our world, you know, especially we're fresh out of what just happened in Charlottesville. Does that type of thing, does that type of horrific rhetoric and you know, these terrible demonstrations by white supremacists and people carrying the Nazi flag. It's 2017 in America and the Nazi flag is flying, uh, from people who, uh, seem to have these really hideous agendas. Do people tend to return to faith in times like that using that model? Like there's a time of crisis and it, and it's, it's like, I need to find my community. I need to be involved. We need to band together. Do you see anything like that? So you asked me that whole preamble, and it's just a yes or no question. <laughs> hey, I said I taught people how to engage with the media. I didn't say I know how to do it. <laughs> yes. Um, no, that, you, that is a, a reality and a truth. I okay. think that um, generally speaking for faith communities, specifically thinking for a Jewish community in an anxious historical moment like this one right you know to to put it more kind of uh callously the last six months have been good for business yes yeah um people that's got to feel terrible though right i mean it it would be it would be ideal and i'm I'm speculating Mm -hmm. here i this is obviously Mm -hmm. for you but it, it it would be better if if it didn't take a crisis to bring people together like that. Yes. I mean, in an idealized world. <laughs> well, listen, if the world ever get the question is if the world ever gets the way that all the great religions envision, we'll, we'll, we're going to put ourselves out of business. <laughs> um, but I guess, yes, there's a sadness to that, mm-hmm. that it takes that. I don't want to be part of the part where I identify with what you're saying is that, um, as I know our tr- tradition and its wisdom, it's so rich and there's so much, um, depth and breadth to it 
about finding meaning in the world and place in the cosmos. Yeah. And I want people to turn for that because of its just its value. I don't want just a react reactivity. I'm scared, so I want to connect. Yeah. Um, but I don't know that even if I say that that's totally fair because mm-hmm. I think life is all those things. Life is crisis and to be a little Buddhist suff- suffering and, and pain. That's yeah. just the nature of it. Right. And um, one of the things that we do is to, in those moments to provide a framework, a resource, a safe place to, to be in that pain, mm-hmm. to, to feel it, to, to grieve, to figure out how we're going to respond. And so that, that's part of why we're here. And, um, and that's okay. Yeah. Uh, in, in the big picture. I mean, that, that, that's okay. And, just thought talking about with the high holidays and the, and the swell of people when you're here. Okay. You're here. Let's make the most of it for whatever it is. If it's just yeah. for an afternoon, if it's just in this crisis, that's great. Be here and, and, and drink from this well Yeah, and get the most out of it. And if I never see you again, may you be blessed on your way. Yeah. So irrespective of motivation, you're welcoming for folks to come in, whether it's crisis or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think so. I, no, no, we are. And that, that is not, not should I think so. That's what we, <laughs> that's what it we want to be. And one of my mantras in doing this, and it just is over and over again, is that people are adults, treat people like adults Yeah. and adults are responsible for their own decisions. It's not my job or my role to say you should or should be doing more of this or less of that. Mm. It's my job to say, here's this wonderful resource, this yeah. menu of Jewish wisdom and practice and, and and present it in a way back to the other question of how to do it in the be relevant in a relevant way. Yeah. And you adults decide what you want to do with it. It's up to you. It's not, it's not me to judge. Um, you want to want me give you my two cents from my experience of, of one way or the other. Sure. I'll tell you that. Yeah. But you're an adult. Do what you need to do. I think that's a good philosophy. Uh, I think there are people out there though. And obviously this may not be the right fit for them. Mm-hmm. And, when, when I talk to college kids, I always say, when you're going for a job, don't go there like looking like you're begging for a job. You're trying them on too mm-hmm. because you don't want to interview end- them too. Exactly. You, you don't want to end up in a place where you're going to be unhappy because that's not going to work out well for mm-hmm. either of you. If you go in and you're willing to take any job that they give you, that's, that's going to be maybe short-term benefit, mm-hmm. but long-term, that's not going to be good. There are folks who from their religion, I think really want like prescripted behavior yeah. mm-hmm. and that doesn't seem like the vibe here, especially with what you're describing. No. And the good news is that there are places where you can get that. Yeah, exactly. And someone who's, I mean, they will tell you what to think, right. And how to act, not what to think necessarily, but here's what's acceptable. Mm -hmm. Here's what isn't. Mm -hmm. And it's a little bit more rigid than the way you're characterizing. There's a little more um, clear limitations or boundaries of what's, what you think about or the way of thinking. Right. And, that is the beauty of the diversity and complexity of our world. And yeah. that's true in nature as it is true in, in religious thinking. And, you know, people, for me, it's best when com- someone's coming synagogue hopping or shopping <laughs> to help them find a place that's right for them. Sure. Listen, we're, we kind of have a natural selection anyways, because we are a synagogue who lives in a church. Right. Yeah. We, we are, we are, we live in Park Hill United Methodist Church. And before that, for 35 years, lived in uh, Park Hill United Park Hill Congregational Church in the neighborhood too. Mm-hmm. And we don't do that 
because, oh, we're waiting until we have enough money. We can have our own building. We embrace the shared space, what it means financially, what it means environmentally, what it means ideologically. Hmm. But for someone who comes in and for whatever reason, that's discomfort. Well, this is not the right place for you. Right. We don't look like that attritional synagogue with its own place and we share space and there's, there's crosses in our building. Yeah. But that's okay. We had, there's stars in their building. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> it works both ways uh, mm-hmm. in yeah, that yeah. regard. Although we Jews have a little more baggage with the cross than Christians with the with the star. I, I would think, think so. Yeah. <laughs> so having grown up with my mom, who was in Skokie, uh, and big Jewish community there, as I said, I think before mm-hmm. the mics were on, um, I've grown up around Jewish culture my entire life, and I found it to be wonderfully inclusive very warm and just delightful folks up and down the spectrum. I've enjoyed all of my time I've spent with my Jewish friends. What I don't understand is the level of acrimony that exists in the world directed at Jews. I've, I've never understood that there are people who seem extraordinarily angry that Jews even exist at all. And I was hoping you could help me understand why. And I'm sure that's a question that you (laughs) grapple with, but I I suspect you've spent more time thinking about it than I do. And again, going back to Charlottesville, you've got mm-hmm. people chanting Jews will not replace us. They're chanting blood and soil. I mean, come on. Why? Like, what is it? I don't get it. Well, first of all, you asked me something that people spend their academic lives studying and trying to understand. Right. And spend hundreds of pages of yes, dissertations, yes. right? So I so well, humbly you, try to respond. You have 45 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> um. You know, I would say there's, uh, if I'm going to do this big generalization, mm-hmm. there's a internal thing about us and there's a external thing that I attribute to human nature. Okay. I think in, I'll do a human nature piece. I think human nature wise, um, the way we're wired, kind of our, our limbic brain and us first them and people threatening to take our stuff. We're always looking for who, who, what's the threat? Identify them demonize them, make yeah, ourselves them, safe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And because of the historical richness of the, that anti-Semitic narrative, uh, Jews are also a common focus for that. We're, we're, we don't own it, but we certainly have a, we have some kind of record for the length of history. Right. Certainly. And so I think that kind of those canards, those memes that they kind of stay and they become, consistent things for people who are looking for that otherness to hang their head on. And they become hard to, to unearth then. Mm-hmm. Like you can't, you can't take it out because the root system has mm-hmm. such, it, it's so deep in history. I think so. Yeah. So, so in that natural human inclination, it's easy there. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I, I was just meeting with our, the Imam in the neighborhood and I was joking with him cause it feels like the last six months that it's really been more a Muslim focus of, mm-hmm. Of prejudice and, and, and hatred and Charlottesville kind of brought us back into the right. discussion, unfortunately. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's always there for us. Um, so I think that's part of it. The other part, the internal part of us, not saying that we're responsible for it, but as I understand, what, what, what is a Jew? What, what's, what's the essential thing that makes us Jewish? Is it a, and there's other people who have written their lives trying to yeah. say what that is. So, one of the things I would say from my two cents is that a Jewish person's role in the world is to challenge the status quo. Hmm. 
Hmm. Abraham was the first Jew. Right. And one of the things we meet about him is that he had the gumption when God wanted to wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah to get in God's face and say, no, you can't do this. Yeah. That's to use the Yiddish word chutzpah. <laughs> yeah. And, but that's the, to me, that's a Jewish thing to look at the world and say, well, this is off and have the courage and groundedness and vision to say no. And has manifested itself in us being comfortable, being separate, mm. being different. And so in a way, our values set us up to be a little other. Yeah, to and, be persecuted because some people don't like challenging the status quo. Exactly. And, and mm-hmm. work, it's like the movie The Matrix. People will work to defend The Matrix, mm-hmm. right? Right, because it was safe and, yeah. and, and comfortable. Y- even and... if it wasn't real, you felt like you were eating the steak. Exactly. <laughs> right? Yeah, precisely. And, and um, I think the Jewish charge, and I don't, I don't think other great rel- mature great religions do this too. So I'm not saying we own this, but yeah. I certainly think it's a, it's a, the heart of us to look at the world and have the courage to say, well, no, this is not just, this is not fair. This is not compassionate. And that pisses people off. Right. Well, I mean, to me, uh, I, I identify with that very deeply because I grew up loving punk rock and punk rock is, that, mm-hmm. is all about challenging the status quo. And it's like, no, this is wrong. And, and if you're not in that community, who likes punk rockers? Right. The, no one. The music's loud. You dress weird. It's scary. It's different. <laughs> It, yeah. Inter- yeah. It's an interesting. I mean, I, I, I didn't go into this expecting that we were going to compare Judaism to punk rock, <laughs> but it kind of fits. Yeah. And it's like the intersection of our two worlds, which I think is really cool. I, I, I don't know. It's hearing you describe it. This is not right, or this is not just, or this is not compassionate. How do you not immediately identify with that? I, and granted, that's me. I sort of, mm-hmm. I've done more than 140 of these episodes mm-hmm. and I'm finding the deep sort of humanist vein in everyone, no matter who they are. And so I just, I find that very, very compelling. And that's why we've got to keep doing what we're doing. That's no right. How the world changes and whatever, whatever's out there. I mean, I think that what drives the, what, what limits us from seeing what's just and compassionate is when we're f- afraid. Yeah. When we lack and we're worried and fearful of what we don't have or what we won't have. And that's legit. That's part of human, the human experience too. Yeah. I think good mature religion though helps you when you're in those moments to not respond with the radical otherness yeah. and the vitriol and, and even violence that can come from that. But that, uh, being able to respond from those really legit human fears for our safety, well-being, and putting that in the perspective that helps us act differently, choose different yeah. responses. Does that ever? Does that approach and understanding that when you see violence and mm-hmm. hatred and divisiveness, the response that you just described, is it hard to maintain that though? Because it's frustrating trying to almost mm-hmm. maintain compassion and. To put it another way, continue to be the adult in the room about it when you've got folks uh, with an agenda trying to drive the wedge further and further and further. Yes. you hit, I mean, you hit the core of the challenge is right. that when the world says, well, you're – that's a, too idealistic. You can't act that way because there's people who are threatening you and your security, your safety is more important. And, and 
that is a legit response, and we're talking about physical well-being. Yeah, if we're talking well, about certainly. if we're talking about, but if we're talking about spiritual well-being, it's not a response. We internally Jewishly have this struggle right now in Israel. We have this tension between Jews who are rightfully concerned for viability, Israel's viability and safety and security, but what Israel is doing to maintain that is spiritually deadly in how it is treating incarcerating a, a, a population yeah. of, of Palestinians. I say these things that these are highest values. We're, we're just like the person next door struggling with it to, to get it right too. Yeah. I think about maintaining your composure in that way. And I, I say this, my wife and I say this a lot in our house when something is a miss like that. Mm-hmm. I go back to Seinfeld where George would get frustrated with something and he'd be like, you know, we're trying to have a society here, <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, we're at, at its core, that's what we're all trying to maintain. And it doesn't necessarily mean that I have to believe exactly what you believe no. about spirituality. I don't subscribe to everything in Christianity. I don't subscribe to everything in Buddhism, Islam. It, there, But there are, at its core, there are a group of people who say this most aligns with my ideas about the world and we're all trying to figure it out together. And to me, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and I, I, I feel if, if we can learn more about each other, which is kind of the point of this podcast, we break down some of those barriers. So, and I think that's what happens is that collectively communally, we, we develop these ideas, stereotypes, but hardly ever do you sit down with one, someone one-on-one. Right. And not connect some way and that, that move that and change that. Yeah. That, that's, that's it. My theology, one of the people I thinking that informs my theology is a guy named Martin Buber. Hmm. Buber's idea of God is not some entity out there who's kind of manipulating and maneuvering things. It's not even a self-aware entity. It is relationship. Hmm. It is when human beings enter into open-minded, open-hearted relationship with each other. doesn't mean liking, but it means loving. Hmm. And when that happens between people, that's, that's what God is. That's the flow. Wow. And so when that's for Buber, that doesn't happen. When that doesn't happen, that's when what some people may call is what evil happens in the world. Hmm. When we are open to the flow, to the, he calls it the I thou, that's when, that's when we're getting it done. That's when... To put it another way, God is most present. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I like because I don't know. I don't believe God's ever not present. Sure, but there's there's when it's, there's levels of. Mm-hmm. I mean it. It's almost like uh, when you talk about uh, getting ready to when you get up in front of your congregation, it, it's a heightened sense of reality. Mm-hmm. And so when people are making those connections, mm-hmm. it's a heightened presence of God. Mm-hmm. And it's hard. It's hard work to live in that space. But could you uh, imagine yeah. if we en- if we engage every encounter? With that possibility, <laughs> obviously with the people most important in our lives, but we don't do that all the time either. No. But from those people to the people you don't know, the, the person behind the checking out the grocery store or um, especially the person who scares you. Yeah. It's transformative to think about what that s- subtle shift might do, but it's hard work to be in that space. Especially when you're scared and tired and angry. and But it gets easier the more you do it. Yes. It, it, it builds I mean, on itself. Yeah. It's it's one of those things. It's a it's a learned skill like anything else, mm-hmm. like public speaking or playing tennis. Mm-hmm. 
it's it's something that if you do it more frequently, you, you end up mm-hmm. and the and the world mm-hmm. becomes a lot less scary mm-hmm. just overall. Our souls work like our bodies. You want to build your muscles each and every day. You do a little exercise, mm. and each you get a little healthier, a little fit, a little stronger. Our souls are even more responsive that way. Yeah. If we do those exercises just a little bit and build, I don't even think we've tapped what we can be. No, I don't either. I think that's a fantastic note to end on. Rabbi Mo, this was uh, incredibly inspiring and educational and just delightful. Before we go, we mm-hmm. do plugs at the end of the show. Okay. So where can people find you? Where can they find Temple Micah on the web, in real life? Okay. Uh, anything you want to plug, it's all yours. So Temple Micah is in Park Hill which is the east part of Denver. We are at 5209 Montview Boulevard. And uh, our website is micahdenver.org. That's M-I-C-A-H denver.org. And um, come see what we got going on. Um, We'd love to see you. Yeah. And I would encourage people to do that. Thanks to Rusty Butler for for getting us introduced because uh, this was tremendous for me. So thank you and continued success to you. Thank you. This was fun. And that wraps up episode 143 of the John of All Trades podcast. Big thank you to Rabbi Mo, Rabbi Adam Morris from Temple Mike at Denver for sitting down with me and sharing his insight about Judaism. I mean, I grew up a little bit with Judaism, but I didn't know as much as I did before I chatted with him. So what a great dude. Check out all the ways to get in touch with Rabbi Morris as well as Temple Micah on the John of All Trades website, J-O-N-of-all-trades.us. Let's pay some love to our sponsor, 4Degrees, number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Anything you want to do on the web, 4Degrees can help you do it better. Whether you're building a website, whether you're hosting websites, whether you're launching a campaign for your good, service, or candidate, 4Degrees will help your message get in front of the people who need to see it most and will do it at a cost that's very attractive. They are excellent. They've been with me from the beginning. And so I give you their plug one more time. And number four, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. John of All Trades podcast is a production of Deft Communications, D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. On the web, we are a Denver-based communications consulting firm. Check us out. You may need our services. New episode coming next week. Facebook previews, as I said, go up on Mondays. J-O-A-T pod is the place to find us on Facebook.com. New episodes drop on Wednesday. So until I hear you back here next week, say goodnight, crazy. That's good, Johnny.